It's a global health crisis never before seen in our lifetime. We don't know a lot about it, and we have to assume that everybody is at risk because nobody's gotten sick from it previously, and there is no vaccine. Leading some to misunderstand what it is we're experiencing. There are a lot of misconceptions where this is being called just another flu virus. I think it's very important to understand that those viruses are very different for many, many reasons. Question how we stop the spread of it. And the whole point of this is not to inconvenience you or to turn your life upside down. And left to wonder what happens next. We don't know what the long-term impact will be on an organization like this one and others. So we've reached out to some experts and thought leaders for perspectives on the COVID-19 coronavirus inside this edition of CTSI Discovery Radio. Welcome to CTSI Discovery Radio. I'm your host, Brian Belmer. CTSI Discovery Radio is brought to you by the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin. The CTSI is a consortium of researchers, doctors, scientists, and others representing eight institutions, including the Medical College of Wisconsin, Milwaukee School of Engineering, Marquette University, the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, Children's Wisconsin, Freighter Hospital, Versity Blood Center of Wisconsin, and the Zablocki VA Medical Center. The CTSI works collaboratively across all of our member institutions. Our mission is advancing health through research and discovery. Our planet is facing a health crisis brought on by the spread of the COVID-19 coronavirus across nearly 200 countries and territories worldwide. New information is being learned every day, and there's already much to know and review about this newly discovered disease and the resulting pandemic we're in the midst of experiencing. Therefore, this show is dedicated to sharing information about the COVID-19 coronavirus from several different perspectives. Working in collaboration with the Office of Communications at the Medical College of Wisconsin, we gained insights from experts and thought leaders at MCW. Some of the information you may have already heard, but it bears repeating as we must learn and work together in slowing the spread of this potentially deadly disease throughout our communities. So with that in mind, Let's hear from some Medical College of Wisconsin experts and thought leaders on the COVID-19 coronavirus. Our first conversation is with Dr. Vera Tarakanova, Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology and Immunology at MCW. We've heard the terms COVID-19 and coronavirus. Dr. Tarakanova explains the distinction between them. COVID-19 is the actual sickness, whereas SARS-CoV-2 is the infectious agent that causes the sickness, but it does not have to cause the sickness. Dr. Tarakanova says there's been a lot of misunderstanding about what the COVID-19 coronavirus is 
and what it isn't. There are a lot of misconceptions where this is being called just another flu virus. I think it's very important to understand that those viruses are very different for many, many reasons. First of all, coronaviruses and influenza viruses belong to two completely different viral families. So if a person is immune to influenza, they will not be immune to coronaviruses. And furthermore, this is a brand new coronavirus that has just entered the human population. So there is no immunity at any level against this coronavirus, whereas the vast majority of us have some immunity against influenza. A second major difference. We all receive flu shots every year, and they provide some level of protection against influenza. There are currently absolutely no vaccines against SARS coronavirus 2, although clinical trials have just started, but it will still take a very long time to get a vaccine. And third, influenza virus has medicines on the market that specifically target influenza, and they are available to patients. Whereas SARS coronavirus 2, there are currently absolutely no antivirals that target this particular pathogen. So coronavirus is more dangerous than influenza because we have no vaccine, we're all susceptible, and there are no treatments that specifically target the virus. Next, she explains how this coronavirus affects those who are susceptible, first due to pre-existing respiratory conditions. In people that are susceptible, the virus can gain access to lower respiratory tract, to the lungs, where it causes incredible amount of inflammation that is exacerbated by advanced age, and this compromises the lung function, which is critical for life. So that is the most common manifestation of COVID-19. Also susceptible, are people with pre-existing heart conditions. COVID-19 also can infect a heart. And so people who have heart disease of any sort are particularly susceptible to severe disease because their heart function is already compromised without the virus being there. Dr. Tara Konova says coronaviruses in general aren't uncommon at all. In fact, coronaviruses are usually common causes of colds. And so all of us have been infected with some kind of coronavirus in our life. Just not this coronavirus. This is a brand new coronavirus that's never been seen in humans before. And so nobody is immune to it. And that's why the entire human population is highly susceptible to infection. So how exactly does the transmission of the COVID-19 coronavirus between people occur? Transmission can occur by touching contaminated the surfaces and then touching your nose, your mouth, your eyes, and that can be controlled to some extent through washing your hands. However, transmission also occurs by inhaling aerosols, and aerosols are produced when a person talks, eats, coughs, sneezes. So even somebody who has coronavirus and has very mild symptoms can be efficiently transmitting this virus. So social distancing prevents those aerosols that we create every day from reaching another person. Thereby making social distancing an effective preservation measure. And so what we're doing is preserving a significant proportion of our population that is particularly susceptible to severe disease caused by this virus that currently has no treatment that specifically targets the virus. We'll hear more about the importance of social distancing later. You've also likely heard the phrase, flatten the curve of COVID-19. But what exactly does that mean? To learn more about that, we'll next hear from Dr. Laura Cassidy, Professor of Epidemiology and Director of the Institute for Health and Equity at MCW. Epidemiology is the study and analysis of the incidence, distribution, and control of diseases in defined populations. 
we asked Dr. Cassidy what's typically seen with influenza and other common viruses we've known or even had in the past. With influenza and other viruses, we've been exposed throughout our lives. We've gotten sick, we've built up immunities. So if people don't get vaccinated and they do get sick, then it's a slow progression over the flu season. But when a newly discovered virus comes along, like COVID-19 coronavirus... We don't know a lot about it, and we have to assume that everybody is at risk because nobody's gotten sick from it previously, and there is no vaccine. So if everybody's susceptible to getting it... What we don't want is everybody to get it all at once, and it's transmitted rapidly and easily. So if everybody gets sick at once when they show this sharp curve, that's everybody gets sick today or this week. The problem with that is our health system just can't handle it. And the other problem is the doctors and nurses and other health care providers might be the ones who get sick as well. And that's why we're staying home, socially separating from one another in order to flatten that curve. The curve is the number of people infected at any given time and over time. So when we want to flatten the curve, that just means we want to slow down the number of people who are getting it over time. It means the pandemic may last a little longer, but it won't be as severe because we can handle it. It gives our healthcare system time to respond. It gives us time to get supplies that are needed, equipment that is needed, and researchers time to come up with treatments. Dr. Cassidy gives a great example using this analogy. So if you've ever built a house or seen one built, you have a small plot of land. And if it's a brick house, if they delivered all the bricks in one day and piled them up really high, you wouldn't have enough room to actually build the house. And there would be bricks in the stacks that are vulnerable and weaker that might start to crumble under the pressure. Well, those are like our patients. If people get sick all at once, then it infects the vulnerable people, the sick people, and they have worse outcomes. By comparison, if you got your bricks delivered weekly in smaller stacks, then you could build your foundation. The next delivery would come, you could build the first floor. The next delivery would come, you could build the second floor, and you would have a strong foundation, a strong house. And over time, you wouldn't have as many vulnerable bricks breaking. To demonstrate how flattening the curve can significantly impact the rate of transmission of a disease, Dr. Cassidy points to the outbreak of a different virus from just a few years ago. A really good example is the last Ebola crisis in West Africa. Mathematical modeling suggested that if nothing were done at that time, within a three to four month period, 500,000 to 1.5 million people would have the disease. But because of all the efforts that were made to contain people, to shut borders, to stop travel, to do safe burial practices, they limited the disease to 28,000 people. Since the COVID-19 coronavirus is affecting people on a worldwide scale, let's look at it from a global health perspective with insights from Dr. Stephen Hargarten, Professor of Emergency Medicine and Associate Dean for Global Health at MCW. Dr. Hargarten says that from a global health perspective, the COVID-19 coronavirus is a game changer. We've been teaching the medical students in the Global Health Pathway that any disease anywhere in the world is going to be anywhere in the world for us to know about and diagnose and treat. It started with SARS, where if you were in an elevator in Hong Kong and somebody sneezed on you, 30 hours later in Toronto, you would have SARS. And what we're seeing today is literally an exponential manifestation of even a greater pandemic that's affecting the entire globe. This is a game changer, I think. And as a game changer, there are important things we can learn 
from this pandemic. One of the things that we can learn is when we identify a virus that's beginning to infect human beings, we need to know exactly what that sequence is. We need to know rapidly what a test is to detect it. And we need to then immediately start to begin, where appropriate, vaccine development. And as we've seen, particularly with tests and with the other reactions, we need to do this very, very quickly across nations and across a spectrum of populations. So one of the things we're learning as this is unfolding is the value of testing as they've seen in the Korea and other countries and cities across the world. But there's still many unknowns about the COVID-19 coronavirus, which is why the global health community is working collaboratively to find answers for this pandemic and improving worldwide health going forward. We have a consortium of universities for global health. Universities are collaborating together to make this world a better and healthier place to be, all working together to make a planet Earth healthy and safe for everyone. And I think that is going to be stimulated more and more because of this pandemic. And Dr. Hargarten says we need to work collaboratively, too, in bringing this pandemic to an end. I know we're going to be successful when is certainly not a clear answer, but we're all gonna get through this together, working together, working in conjunction with our public health and scientific leaders who are telling us the best way to reduce the risk of infection, practice good hygiene, practice good social distancing, and take care of one another. Fortunately, we're a community that embraces diversity, which is critical especially at a time like this. The respect of diversity is so important. Milwaukee in the 1870s and 1880s was considered a city of nations, of immigrants coming from a variety of countries. And we're seeing this today again over the last several years, the immigrants, refugees coming to Milwaukee. We value that diversity, that diversity of thinking to come up with novel ways of dealing with this pandemic or the next pandemic or the next issue that is a glaring disparity here in our own community. So respecting and nurturing and valuing diversity is extremely important. But while diversity is embraced, still there exist inequities in health and health care among vulnerable populations in our communities. And the COVID-19 coronavirus is bringing this into focus. We spoke with Dr. Joni Williams, assistant professor in the Department of Medicine, Division of General Internal Medicine, and a member of MCW Center for Advancing Population Sciences, who shares what she sees as areas of greatest risk for vulnerable populations during this pandemic. When I think of individuals and families who are vulnerable during this critical time, there are three things that come to mind. Widening the gap in terms of education, in terms of the economy, in terms of health care. First, in terms of educational risks. Individuals in impoverished areas, oftentimes played with higher rates of crime and violence, have less educational attainment or less educational advantage. There are individuals and children in particular who may be impacted during this critical time because they are not able to be in the classroom. Because of that, they may not have access to different educational opportunities and resources. Some children may not have advantage of having computers at home. Some may not have Wi-Fi or internet connection, which may cause a further divide in terms of educational attainment. And consider... For those parents or single parents who are continuing to work, there's this concern about having to weigh the options of whether or not to stay at home to be with their children or to go to work to meet needs. 
which brings up the economic impact that the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic is having on vulnerable populations. There are individuals and families who are disproportionately vulnerable to economic disadvantage. In those areas, individuals are highly impacted by concentrated poverty, crime and violence. And those are the individuals and families that are particularly vulnerable when trying to decide between supporting their families or to go to work to meet needs. So there are parents and moms who may not be able to work at this time. Then there's significant impact on vulnerable populations when it comes to health and health care. There are different vulnerable populations that include the elderly, individuals who may identify with minority race and ethnicities, and also individuals who have lower socioeconomic attainment. Those individuals oftentimes have poor outcomes, and during this critical time, there may be less access to resources, less of an opportunity for self-management, self-care, less access to transportation that's needed to get to medical appointments. So those are the three areas that come to mind when I think about vulnerabilities during this critical time. Education, economy, and the health care. So, Dr. Williams says now more than ever, it's important for all of us to give support to those in need especially vulnerable populations in need. I think it's particularly important for everyone to work together, for individuals and organizations to continue to provide support, to make sure that we are communicating current information for individuals, to make sure that the information we're providing is up to date so that individuals can feel empowered, making sure that we're listening to the community to find out what their needs are. Because, she says, we're at our best when we're working together. Evidence shows that social support is one of the most effective factors that can contribute to better outcomes. If we're able to show that we have genuine empathy and we're supporting those who are most at risk for particular vulnerabilities during this time, we will be serving as an effective leader in the community to help during this difficult time. Next, Dr. Williams tells us how she and her team in the Center for Advancing Population Sciences are continuing their research work during these unprecedented times. COVID-19 coronavirus is something new for all of us, something that none of us have ever experienced before. So in an effort to keep us all safe and healthy, one of the things that we decided as a team is that we should come together and make sure that the things that we are doing beneficial to those who are most vulnerable, we continue to do. So, for example, we have a particular study that targets African-American low-income individuals who are food insecure. One of the benefits of participating in that study is that we're able to offer stock boxes, vouchers for non-perishable items to individuals who are enrolled in the study. And we thought it was very important to continue with those efforts because individuals and families may be disproportionately impacted by the economic vulnerabilities that are coming with COVID-19. It's important for us to maintain that resource that individuals are able to access. As a health equity researcher, Dr. Williams says the COVID-19 coronavirus not only reveals gaps making some populations more vulnerable, she's concerned the pandemic we're facing could cause the gaps to widen. Disparities continue to persist between majority populations and minority populations. And it's 2020 and we still are experiencing this gap in healthcare outcomes, educational outcomes, economic outcomes. And this epidemic is just going to continue to perpetuate that gap. 
this may even make it worse because nobody's prepared for this. Nobody knows what's going to be the outcome. Like, how long is this going to last? All of that is going to impact where we go. Increasing the need for our leaders to lead us in making positive change. This is a critical time to make sure that we're doing everything we can to avoid the gap from increasing between those who are most at risk and those who have better outcomes as a result of this novel pandemic that we're all experiencing. In the meantime, Dr. Williams encourages individuals and families in our community's vulnerable populations to rely on resources as needed. This is something that is new and different for all of us. Rely on sources of support. Whatever that source of support is, I would encourage individuals to rely on that heavily at this time to keep yourselves and your family members safe and know that there are individuals out there willing, ready, able, and available to help you and to support you as we all get through this difficult time. However, because of the pandemic, organizations and individuals may be limited in the help they can provide to those in need. So the focus is on what can be done. For this perspective, we turn to Dr. David Nelson, Associate Professor in the Department of Family and Community Medicine, Division of Research at MCW. Dr. Nelson also serves at Neighborhood House, a United Neighborhood Centers of Milwaukee location on the city's near west side. Dr. Nelson says it's not only those served, but organizations themselves that are being affected by the COVID-19 coronavirus. For example, where we're at now, Neighborhood House, normally there would be daycare program. Later in the day, there would be teenagers, then adolescents that would be here. And even in the evening, this Neighborhood House does international programming, teaching English as a second language, providing food for people. But these aren't normal days. And so, suddenly the halls are quiet. The doors, as much as they want to be open, aren't able to be open for fear of spreading the virus and the idea of having best practices. And there are many other organizations in our communities affected by the pandemic, including a disruption of our educational endeavors. And this goes from the early childhood experiences that are happening at Neighborhood House through MPS on up through colleges, as well as the Medical College of Wisconsin. One of our unsung heroes are our teachers that are using social media platforms like Google and Google Classrooms to make sure that education goes on. Also affected, faith-based community organizations. For those of us that are faith-oriented, our faith calls us to come together in a gathering point, but public health says that we shouldn't be doing that. So we have faith-based organizations suddenly having an online presence, using websites or Facebook to broadcast their services. It's not quite the same as being there, but it is a way to be connected. And even once the virus is gone and we try to get back to normal, it's uncertain what normal will look like then. We don't know what the long-term impact will be on an organization like this one and others. But he is certain that there will be needs to be met after the COVID-19 coronavirus, just as there were before it. We need to find ways that we can get resources to individuals and to families and to even support organizations like this one when we get the all clear around this virus. What about now? When we're told to socially separate, how can we support organizations and those they serve? There are lots of ways that we can support. 
For those that might have the ability to do so, I think what organizations in the community need right now is financial support. So if you don't have an organization that you're committed to locally or nationally, find one and make a donation if you can. If you can't, he says there's another way you can offer support. Most of us have the ability to connect through telephone calls, through text messages and emails and social media to give a shout out to those organizations that might need to read your message of hope. And Dr. Nelson says it's important to offer messages of support to individuals as well. If you know someone in your neighborhood who is isolated, reach out to them. Even leave them a note in their door. It can mean a world of difference that tells people that they matter and that they're cared for. Just because we're physically not near one another doesn't mean we need to be isolated. Speaking of isolation, you may have wondered, is it really that important to socially separate like we're being told to in the face of the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic? It turns out that the answer is a resounding yes. But don't take it from me. Take it from an expert. Dr. Joyce Sanchez is an assistant professor, Department of Medicine, Division of Infectious Disease at MCW who says the necessity for social distancing cannot be overstated. And the whole point of this is not to inconvenience you or to turn your life upside down. The point is to bring down the numbers of individuals who you come into contact with who might be sick and the number of individuals who you come into contact who you could potentially spread the virus to. And the fact is, social distancing makes a dramatic difference in slowing the spread of disease. When that happens, we're able to bring down the number of cases who come to our local hospitals in Wisconsin and in Milwaukee so that it remains below the threshold of our maximum capacity so we, as a healthcare workforce here, can give you the best care possible when you do get sick. So, instead of asking, how long do I have to stay home, perhaps a better question is, What can we do as an individual to affect change, to encourage people to practice that social distancing so that we as a community can bring down the number of infections happening to our loved ones here? What about the skeptics. For the skeptics out there who feel like this is not as severe as the media puts it out to be, I would encourage you to do research at reliable places, looking to the CDC website, looking at statistics. Data speaks for itself. But while it's necessary, don't think anyone's suggesting that social isolation is necessarily easy. Dr. David Cipriano is an associate professor, Department of Psychiatry, in the Child and Adolescent Program at MCW. Dr. Cipriano says social distancing isn't easy, but it's something we must all do because it's the right thing to do. The social distancing that is required of us during the COVID-19 crisis is an act of altruism. We make the sacrifice because we are trying to keep not only ourselves, but the people around us healthy. If we don't get infected and then do not become a carrier of the virus, we are helping everybody we come into contact with. Still, he recognizes that social separation is stressful for many people. And unfortunately, many of our typical coping strategies aren't available options right now. A lot of us cope with stress by, say, going out for dinner, seeing friends, going to the gym, going to see a movie, maybe even just going to a store to shop. 
we don't have a lot of those options now, and we have to look for alternatives, and we have to get creative in finding other ways to cope. He gives some examples of things we can do. There are things that we can be doing to help ourselves cope during this time. Try to maintain as regular of a schedule as possible. If you're working from home, keep a schedule that's maybe closely aligned with your typical work schedule. And make sure you're maintaining your normal sleep, fitness, and nutrition habits. Fitness will be a challenge. You don't have access to your gym anymore, but we can get our exercise by going outside and taking a walk or a run. And in those ways, we try to keep our coping strategies solid to help us deal with the stress of this crisis. And there's more we can do. Thank goodness for the digital age here. and We can stay in touch virtually, whether email or texting, social media, we want to be spreading comfort to our friends and loved ones. We want to be checking in with them, asking how they're doing, telling them what they mean to us. Take this opportunity to let people know what we're grateful to them for. He also gives some examples of things not to do during this time. Let's not spread anxiety, right? So try not to repost sensationalistic headlines that you've picked up from social media. Try not to post pictures of empty store shelves that you've taken or have come across again on social media. We don't want to be spreaders of anxiety. Remember, anxiety is bad for your health. Let's keep you and the people close to you healthy. Finally, some words of encouragement and hope during this challenging time. Dr. Laura Cassidy. In times of great crisis, great strengths emerge. And when we get through this, I think we'll all be a little stronger a little smarter and more compassionate. Dr. David Nelson. This is where we need to figure out how we can stay connected. We want the challenging times to end, but we want the connections to remain. Dr. Joni Williams. Stay encouraged, keep your heads up. And Dr. Joyce Sanchez. At some point, we are gonna see the light at the end of this tunnel. And when that happens, that will be cause for great celebration. It will indeed. But for now, that's all the time we have for this edition of CTSI Discovery Radio. Our sincere thanks to all of our expert guests and thought leaders from the Medical College of Wisconsin. CTSI Discovery Radio airs the third Friday of every month. Join us for each episode. On behalf of the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin and all of our affiliate partners and members, I'm Brian Bellmer, wishing you happier, healthier days ahead. For more information about research or to listen to the podcast of this or any of our shows online and on demand, please visit our website at ctsi.mcw.edu. CTSI Discovery Radio is written, produced, and hosted by Brian Bellmer in collaboration with WMSE Radio. The CTSI and this program are under the direction of Dr. Reza Shakir.